Welcome to Startup Hacks, a We Global Studios podcast. We explore the stories and secret strategies that women entrepreneurs use to save time and money when bootstrapping and building their businesses. I'm your host, Fernanda Carapina, and today I'm so excited to welcome Marissa Waldman. Marissa is the co-founder and chief excellence officer of Leaderology. Marissa and her team are on a critical mission to develop today's leaders and equip them to fearlessly solve tomorrow's challenges. A respected industry executive and gold Stevie Award winner for women-run workplaces, Marissa has dedicated her entire career to serving her colleagues, her clients, and the HR business community. Welcome, Marissa. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It is our pleasure. I'm so excited to do this interview and for the audience to really get to know all of your secret strategies around leadership. So I thought maybe uh, I thought maybe we could start um, by giving us a little context about your background, where you grew up, how you got started in this field. Thank you. So I grew up in Southern California, born and raised. And I'm the youngest of four in a family of of six. I uh, come from a very long line of um, very strong women who sort of stepped into their power, as it were, at their uh, as was appropriate for their time in in this world. My mother uh, is a serial entrepreneur and the first feminist I've ever I ever met. She was <laughs> reading uh, the feminine mystique and stating her place in the world back when I was in pre-adolescence and actually um, <laughs> graduated with her bachelor's degree on her 50th birthday and wow. really showed me how to go after go after what I wanted. And um, it's funny, one of the one of the earliest pieces of device she she ever gave me that sticks with me still. She said, you know, Marissa, if you stand up straight and walk in, uh, like you own the place, 90% of the people are going to get out of your way. And <laughs> a little bit of a of fake it till you make it kind of mentality, but she um, is, was, continues to be a very confident, intelligent woman, entrepreneurial, funny, driven, and um, I learned a lot. I learned a lot from her. Wow, that's wonderful. And um what what did you think kind of growing up watching her kind of come into her own power kind of later in life going back to school had you thought about um, pursuing an entrepreneurial life at that point or were you just more focused on going to school and getting job experience just focused pretty much on going to school and got, getting job experience she um you, both of my parents recreated their careers numerous times and so I, I was fascinated watching them. They were deeply in love and had a very strong, strong marriage. And they still found tremendous satisfaction and passion from their careers. And so I came from a place of believing that you can have an incredible family life and an incredible career. And I didn't want to settle for anything less. And so... I started off my career actually pretty early on running law firms and then moving into um, career counseling. I was working at a very young age with welfare moms who mm. the state of the state of Florida um, required them to get jobs and they didn't quite know how to go about doing that. And so I was hired to help um, in what we called the job club, teach them how to look for work. 
So early on, I was very invested in helping people find satisfaction from their work. And um, I think because of the entrepreneurial spirit that I was raised with, which sounds sort of a cliche, but I, I believed, I, I always made the mistake of thinking that I kind of owned the company everywhere I worked. <laughs> I had a, a very much an owner's mindset, um, sort of coupled with a, a, a need to, to be of service and to be helpful. And um, that kind of, I brought that to everything I did long before I started my own company. So, so talk to us a little bit then about your transition from kind of corporate work to um, kind of more of your entrepreneurial life, especially in the leadership area. So I, I've been in the leadership area for, I don't know, 25, 30 years, a long time, helping people with their careers, helping people step into that leadership mindset, regardless of whether they are leading people or whatever their title is. I have a strong belief and point of view that everybody is can be a leader if they want to accept the challenge and if they want to lean into that. Um, it kind of comes from a, oh, I don't even know, an internal locus of control belief that mm -hmm. the world is happening and I can, I can have an impact. I can step into that. Mm-hmm. And so what I started to see in the market was a, a need for sort of a fearlessly authentic leadership movement, and it was missing. It was missing in the marketplace. The focus was on leadership development competencies and helping people um, give good feedback, and all, all those things are important as you're developing teams and change management, et cetera. But I didn't feel like people were tapping into their own um, authentic leadership style. They were trying to put themselves into a particular box, whether it was you know, sort of the flavor of the month, whether it was servant leadership or whatever. So we wanted to start, my, my partner Jillian Lapetito and I wanted to start a company, a movement, if you will, that helped people really step into their fearlessly authentic selves and to, to operate in an environment and to create an environment that has a lot of psychological safety so that the people in and around them can also embrace their fearless authentic, fearlessly authentic selves. And I, I find this so fascinating, especially the locus of control, which is a psychology mm -hmm. term that many people don't hear that often. Um, I, I'm wondering what you felt were some of the roadblocks to people really, and especially women, let's talk about women mm -hmm. specifically, um, that women came across in order to really tap into that authentic self. I think the number one is imposter syndrome. And I, <laughs> I have sort of a controversial stand on this. I think imposter syndrome is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I think we should embrace it. I think we should celebrate it. I think it makes us better leaders. It makes us um, more curious, more humble, more uh, interested in learning from others. And um, I, I, think, I think it's important to understand that we don't know everything and we never will. And, mm -hmm. and accept that and embrace that and use that as a secret, a secret weapon that encourages one to continually seek out support, learning, and more information from, from others. I, one of my favorite things to say is, I don't know, but I'll find out. 
um, because that means I'm about to go learn something new and different. It's funny because we actually have a second podcast that uh, We Global Studios does called Mindset for Success that focuses almost exclusively on mental health related issues and imposter syndrome and various things Mm -hmm. that women struggle with. Um, So for our listeners, why don't you define a little bit about what imposter syndrome is just in case some listeners might not know? Well, especially as it pertains to women, research has told us over and over again that men are often promoted into roles or given extra responsibility based on potential, whereas women are promoted into more senior roles or given more responsibility based on work they've already done. And that coupled with the fact that women think they have at something before they step out and, and give an opinion. And when they are called on to give an opinion, they often feel like, oh, gosh, I'm not, I'm an imposter. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not, I don't have enough experience, et cetera. And it holds them back. And often um, that, that noise is so loud in their head, they can't, they, they, they have like a fight or flight response and they can't think clearly. They can't be their most innovative selves, etc. And so my response is rather than trying to convince yourself that you are good enough, um, and to beat down the imposter syndrome, I say, we are who we are. We don't know everything. If you're put in a situation where you don't have the answer, say, I don't know. I'm confident enough to say, I don't know. Let's go find out. Let's Mm -hmm. go speak to an attorney. Let's go find an investment specialist. Let's go talk to the CPAs. Let's go find a subject matter expert. And let's lead from the edges. Let's bring smart people together. Let's collaborate. And let's come up with a better solution. Um, Because imposter syndrome, often as you're trying to beat it, you'll you'll fake it. And um, that doesn't make anybody feel more confident. Right, exactly. And do you feel that there um, that there are certain strategies that really help to booster that up for women who maybe struggle with it? I think. I mean, I, I've given women I've given women homework when I'm coaching them to go to the next situation and say, "I don't know." Mm-hmm. And I'll find out. Just say, <laughs> saying the words, I don't know. And you know what? It's amazing. The world keeps spinning. The sun keeps shining. The birds are chirping. And what people find is that they have they get more respect by accepting that and bringing together the people who can help with with the right answer. Going back a little bit to the locus of control, I'm hypothesizing whether some of that, and I'm probably projecting here based on my <laughs> own uh, background here, just to be completely upfront, I- I'm wondering whether that is f- that skill is facilitated if at a young age you were given a lot of responsibility and independence, so you developed a sense of security in your ability to figure it out. I think that's true. Um, and I also think it's, it's, um, with my own children, I never celebrated their success. So if, if somebody studied hard and did well on a test and brought home a a good grade, I never said, oh my gosh, I'm so proud of you. I always said, wow, you must be so proud of yourself. Mm -hmm. Or wow, how does that feel? Um, because I wanted them to internalize it, that they took control 
they owned the process and they, they achieved the results they were going for. And, um, so I do think that's true. I was given a lot of responsibility as a child and a lot was expected of me and I stepped up. So I felt that I had control over a lot of things in my world as they were happening. I could, I, I wouldn't say I had control over things in the world, but I, I couldn't, I could impact the outcomes. It didn't happen to me. It happened and I could impact that. And in your own practice, so talk to us a little bit about leaderology. So, um, how has it been a couple years now that you, that you've started your own firm? Yes. So Jillian and I had the brilliant idea to start a firm, um, in the most crazy time of our <laughs> lives, right before a pandemic and a recession decided to hit. So we, <laughs> we started the company, it was two years ago, February 1st of this year of 2021. And, um, we, in a lot of ways, it wasn't a startup. It was more like a rocket launch. The um, relationships that we had developed over the years in the community um, 100% surrounded us and lifted us. And we were immediately successful and immediately um, financially secure through mm. those through those relationships and people championing uh, championing us and fighting to be our first customer so uh we we launched we had tremendous success and then coming into 2020 we're in a position to say to the team look there's this bizarre pandemic beating down the door uh we will definitely be going into a recession but we have a full year's salary in the bank for each of you so you're safe. If we don't make one more deal for a year, you're safe. Let's pivot. Let's be our most innovative selves, um, our most creative selves, and let's go big. And the team stepped up to the challenge and just crushed it. So it was a stressful and exciting, exciting time. Wow, um, that's that's yeah. incredible. And and for for our listeners cuz they may not um they wouldn't know this, but you were fortunate enough to have left corporate work that was in the same field, so you were able to leverage that experience and those relationships to um to start fuel your your business um when you started your own company. So, let's discuss a little bit cuz I'm curious um in terms of your pivot, which is so exciting. So, how did you pivot during COVID um, in an entrepreneurial way that you felt really helped you grow your business? So we, we have always delivered the leadership development programs and executive coaching one-on-one face-to-face or in cohorts face-to-face. And we had been moving slowly in the direction of having sort of a multimodality online learning, virtual learning, instructor-led learning, et cetera, but hadn't fully committed. And so when um, COVID-19 hit, it became clear that we needed to accelerate that process and go after it in a much more intentional way. And it actually solved for a tremendous number of problems that we were experiencing. So for example, companies are comfortable flying executives all over for leadership development training they don't want to invest that kind of money at the more frontline leadership level. And our programs are all cohort-based and are designed to be 
facilitated over a series of workshops, not sort of a uh, all-in-one, two-day kind of program. And they don't like flying frontline leaders around for that kind of a for that kind of a program. It's not financially um, viable. So for us to create these programs that are multimodality, that have instructor-led training, that have e-learning, that have a portal for the cohort to be communicating and collaborating, is is cost-effective for them and super high-quality um, content. So we quickly created those um, or modified our content to a different deliverable modality and the market went wild. So it's been fun. And do you find that your business in terms of the industries that you're working with has changed or are you are you pretty committed to a couple industries? No, we're across all industries. It's expanded, if nothing else. Um, again, because we are able to work more readily with frontline leaders with huge um, dispersed populations all over the world. So the industries never really matter. Leadership development is leadership development, and we are able to customize it and um, tailor it to be appropriate for that company and that industry regardless. And do you find that you're working more with men versus women or an equal balance? (laughs) Um, it depends on the level. So just as you would imagine, the higher up mm-hmm. the um, organizational ladder one goes, the the bulk of the people we're working with are male. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And do you ever work with um, individuals who are trying to transition from one position to another position or pivot completely in their careers? Well, yeah, you know, it's interesting. I started my career as a career counselor and helping people through transition, typically when they're leaving the organization. But in this particular company, we aren't working in the outplacement industry, but we do do a lot of helping people as they're um, assimilating into a new role from one position to the next and lots and lots of high potentials. Companies are investing in leaders. They see it as a... um, as a true differentiator, as a, as a way to attract the best of the best. There, there still is a war on talent, even now. And companies understand the um, critical nature of developing those leaders. Well, us gals need you. So I, I hope <laughs> that you're going to be doing more work with women in the future um, and that they find you. Yes. Um, I wanted to ask you, before we start talking about the hacks, which are critically important, I wanted to just touch base on your advice um, for other organizations that are trying to offer you know, excellent services, but there's budget restrictions. And I know that your organization has actually been pretty innovative and very community-based and mm-hmm. has done a lot of really wonderful kind of pro bono type work. Um, I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. It's my, it's our favorite thing to do. We are, whether it's coaching on call during the beginning of the pandemic, giving away coaching just to any leader who needed the support or our Praxis program, which is um, helping find those students, BIPOC students who are coming up through the university system that need paid internships so that they can enter into the workplace and become part of the leadership pipeline. We are not keeping score. We don't have an agenda. We're just going into the community as much as possible and using the talents that we have to help um, 
to help our community, right? Uh, you know, Medtronic built, gave away, gave away ventilator specs so people could copy their ventilators when we needed ventilators and companies were making masks. We don't have those skills. Our skills are on developing leaders. And so we want to make sure that we're giving that away as much as possible. And it's coming back to us tenfold, both in actual paid business, but more importantly, just in um, how it makes us feel about the work we're doing in our mission. That's fabulous. And what about um, what about this Stevie Award? How how did that come? <laughs> how did that come about? That was all from my team. The team um, is very proud of the work we're doing. They're proud that we're a women-owned business, and they are out applying for these different awards all over the place. And so the Stevie Award, they they uh, applied. <laughs> Uh, we actually won two, and um, it was they recognized the work we were doing in leadership development. They recognized the great work we were doing for the community, and also, you know, in our in our first year and a half in business, three of the leaders on the team gave birth to babies. <laughs> so, in the middle of the pandemic, in the middle of trying to grow, in the middle of of um, <clears throat> my my own father's passing. Um, we had three women out, uh, three se- you know senior women on the team out having beautiful babies, and it was important to us. So I mean, look, everybody knows women are paid what is it, eighty cents on the dollar or something compared to men. Then they go mm-hmm. out and they have children because somebody has to, and the uh, disability system pays them. I think it's sixty percent or something of the eighty percent that they're already <laughs> they're already making. So the, the you know they're they're the impact, the financial impact of having a child is insane. Right. The mortgage companies don't say, "Oh gosh, you're out on maternity leave. We'll drop your your mortgage payments," you know, seventy percent or something. So we bridge their um, we bridge their salaries while they're out. We hold their jobs, of course, while they're out, which is a small company that's not legally mandated. But it, not only is it the right thing to do, it's it's good business. Yeah, these are yeah. this is top talent, and I want to retain and attract top talent. I don't right. want to lose these women, and I want them to know they're safe. They're in a psychologically safe place. Their their careers are safe. They're financially safe, and well, we're killing it. You're you're leading by example as well, which is phenomenal. Um, I can't believe we're almost out of time. So I'm going <laughs> to quickly jump to something that you've already chatted with me about privately. So I'm going to jump right in, which is you've you've mastered one of the best hacks of all, which is customer acquisition. And a conversation you and I had, which was, I thought, really kind of blew me away, the fact that you really don't have to spend any money to acquire customers because you are working on a referral relationship with HR divisions within companies and they bring their clients, they bring your clients to you. Correct. <laughs> That's like so, every every founder's dream. <laughs> so these HR professionals are the unsung heroes. They um, always have the company's best interest in mind. They're always looking for great solutions. And as long as I communicate with them, support them, add service and add value to their lives, They've got the clients. They each have, you know, 800 internal 
customers that they're trying to support and find solutions for every day. They understand our differentiators. They understand um, the value we bring. And so they're calling and saying, hey, Marissa, I need help with X or Y or Z. And um, Jillian and I and the rest of the team surround them, support them, provide them with what they need. And then when the applause comes, we're very happy to step back and let them take the bows because they are the ones who are doing the heavy lifting. That's very smart. Well, Marissa, we are out of time, um, sadly. I I wish we could do another (laughs) part two, but we'll have to have you back for part two. So thank you so much for being on Startup Hacks today. Yes, your suggestions uh, were great, and the work that you're doing in the leadership area is just phenomenal. So if any of our listeners would like to reach out to you or learn more about your company, do you have a website that you'd like to share? Sure. We are leaderology.com and it's spelled just like it sounds, leaderology. And we'd love to meet and talk to anybody. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you again. And let's tune in next week for more Startup Hacks. We have another great show that you won't want to miss on the secret female founder strategies that will save you time and money when building your business. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by We Global Studios, the first startup innovation studio and digital do-it-yourself startup platform for women entrepreneurs around the world. For more information on our guests, this podcast, and many other female founder programs, please visit weglobalstudios.com. I'm your host, Fernanda Kirapina, and we will see you next week. 